Today we have Dustin Lapaka on the show. Do you want to know how to win competitive deals? Dustin Lapaka is a multifamily investor with over 2,000 units. He knows the ropes of how to win a competitive deal. In this episode, he's going to teach you how to ask the right questions so that you can get ahead in the game. By asking the right questions and building the right team, you can build relationships with brokers, management companies, attorneys, lenders, and investors that will all help you land your first deal. You don't want to miss this episode. It could be the difference between winning and losing your next deal. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Dustin Lapaka before we start the show. Dustin lives in the DFW area. He knows how competitive deals can be. He used grit, determination, and perseverance to stay the course and win his first deal after three years, all while holding down a W-2 job. Now he's closed on 15 multifamily properties for over 2,000 units, and he is not stopping. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest here with us today. We've got Dustin Lapaka. Dustin, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Darren. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Dustin. Um, so I joined a multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Sumrock Group, about uh, four years ago. And when I did, I I started looking at the the people that were doing deals and Dustin was one of them. So I, I was looking at videos of him online. Um, you know, they have these bus tours and they would be videoed and I, I'd see him. Um, so he's been around, he's, you know, done a lot of deals and I'm very interested in this conversation. So to start out with uh, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Uh, well, Darren, right now I'm in about uh, 2,150 units, just shy of 2,200. And uh, it's about 15 properties is what I've been involved in. Fantastic. So I have to, kind of, I guess, kind of thank you because <laughs> I, the, the listeners probably don't know this story. They pro- Some of them may have heard the story on how the podcast started, but, you know, we were going head to head on a deal about an hour south of, of Dallas and I lost the deal. I was, I was going to partner with Natalie, um, and you and, and Deepika, you know, beat me out, beat us out on that deal. And after that, I was like, all right, what's next? And I ended up starting the podcast next. So if you guys didn't beat me out, this podcast may not have even started. So I guess I have to thank you in a roundabout way. (laughs) 
That's a great story. I didn't know that that was the case. That was really the catalyst to kick this thing off. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it was. And um, and so I guess that's a good lead way. Why, why don't you talk about that deal? Oh, that would be uh, Kenwood Heights, right? Yeah, yeah, Kenwood you know, Heights. Um, I don't want to rub it in, Darren, but... I know you guys this is are one of the you best guys, performing you deals guys have out killed there right it. now. I love that deal. I love that little market. And and yeah. you guys, I've seen the numbers, man. You guys have, have killed it. So, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's 211 units. It's built in multiple phases from the early 60s into the mid 80s, right? It's in two different locations in town too, but it is centrally managed with with one property manager, right? One one office. And, um, the, the play is just bring it up to market as it had been kind of run down for a long time. The previous owner had spent, uh, I don't remember what it was, four or $5 million renovating the exterior and the interior of, uh, the property. And it, the, uh, by the time we bought it, um, there was probably maybe 75 units that had not been renovated at that point, right? It was, it was primarily done. So all we had to do was pick up the ball and run with it. And because it was a small town, there wasn't a huge amount of interest. And the pricing was not outrageous like in Dallas, Fort Worth. And, uh, you know, we, we just stuck with the same management company. We stuck with the same game plan. We brought the rents up to market rent, which was just over a hundred dollar rent bump. And uh, that's without really doing anything, just, maintaining status quo and continuing to update units as they became available. And now, I mean, we're more than two years in and we've been consistently producing 20% annual returns to investors on that asset. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. So um, a few things you said there. One was, you know, it, it's about an hour south of, of Dallas. So it, it didn't have as much interest, you know, from investors, some people, you know, kind of bypassed it. And that was one of the things that I loved about the deal was that there wasn't as much competition. Um, you also said that, you know, you guys got in at a lower, um, per unit basis. And, um, if I recall, it was like 55 K a door. Um, you know, now things in Dallas are trading, you know, 150 a door. Um, and so, so that that's very attractive. The other thing that it, that I really liked about that deal was, um, you know, it was a smaller market. There wasn't a ton of inventory, and you were the lowest priced rents in the market. So, yeah, you know, there wasn't yep. there wasn't any other real competition other than maybe, you know, a, a duplex here or there. You know, but for for a um, a large property, there wasn't really anybody lower than you. So, yeah, I, I mean, that really speaks to all, all the reasons why we loved it as well going into this place. Not only was that the lowest entry point into the market, the most affordable living option for anybody coming into that town, uh, but that town has virtually no available housing. I mean, it's like 97, 98% full. There's just nowhere to live. Right. So that's one of the reasons why we really like that, that market. Yeah, and if I mean, somebody's got to live somewhere, right? If somebody's going to move, say you you do the rent bump, and somebody says, "Okay, well, I'm I'm not going to pay it." Well, where are they going to move? Exactly, they have to leave town completely. Right. Um, so they, that was a very attractive deal. Um, I'm happy for, for you guys, and but I'm also happy because uh, you know I've had a lot of fun with this podcast and, and met a lot of great people from it. So 
Hey, I, I may be off on this, but when, when I started looking at videos, when I first got involved and, um, you know, I saw a bus tour and you were, I could be off on this, but I think that you got under contract on your first deal and then you, it fell out for some reason. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. That's so what happened? The first deal. Okay. This is a long story. It's a great story and it ends well, right? So that makes it a good story only because it ends really well. Well, you've been in the business for a while, so you stuck, you've stuck it yeah. out, right? So it couldn't be all right. that bad. Right. So this was in, uh, we were supposed to close I want to say it was around Halloween, October of 2016, we were supposed to close. And what had happened, um, I got this property under contract. It was a little 50-unit property built in 2001 in a suburb of, of Dallas. And on closing day, we found out that the seller had a lockout on his loan. That is to say, the lender would not allow the seller to sell the property until that time expired. And it was a 12-month lockout. So they had recently refinanced the property. It was, it was a couple going through a divorce. And yeah, I guess they needed some cash. So they refinanced the property. And they didn't really go through the loan docs in, in great detail. And so what happened was the lender said, no, we're, you, know, you cannot transact. This is not going to happen. So... It was breach of contract, right? Seller uh, default. And my lawyer advised that I get a, uh, a different lawyer and uh, sue the seller for specific performance so that they would sell me the property. So I listened to legal counsel and uh, I, I started that process. In the meantime, I had all my investors who had lined up and invested with me. Uh, so we could purchase the property. What I did is I sent everybody their money back. Oh, you right? did? So every, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the investors got every dime of their money back. I took all the loss, which was about, I don't remember exactly, like sixty-five dollars or $70,000 at the time. And that was um, after um, I got back my earnest money. That was like my lender fees, right? My good faith deposit, my due diligence costs, uh, my my legal retainer, all these extra fees that that you have to pay out of pocket when you're a sponsor for one of these things, right? That's why you're the general partner is you take the risk for something going wrong and you put all your money where your mouth is when you buy these properties. And that's what happened, right? So I, I put all my money into this thing and then it just kind of falls apart with uh, with the seller being unable to perform. So everybody got their money back except for me, and we went ahead and, and sued, sued the seller. Now, this thing dragged on for five years. Five years? Five years. Holy cow. Five years. Holy this cow. lawsuit just kept going on and on and on. Now, one thing I did do that, that, thank goodness I did, at the beginning, I had a conversation with my lawyer, and I said, look, this is not a pay-as-you-go. This is... Um, you get paid when we win type thing. It was a contingency so, <laughs> deal. Absolutely. So, so you, absolutely. So you weren't, there was no way, no way I could afford to pay this guy. Right. Um, you know, as, as we went on, cause I mean, who knows how long it was going to go. I thought it was going to be two years. Turns out it was five. Wow. Over five. So we had two, uh, mediation attempts, right? First mediation, we just couldn't reach an agreement. Um, and then about a year later, we were set to go to trial 
And then COVID happened and the judge said, you know what, you, you boys go and figure this out. Um, COVID's here. So basically you're not coming in, in the courtroom and this is going to get pushed back indefinitely. Meanwhile, the judge was also encouraging us to find a resolution before, you know, going to trial. Second mediation happened. Oh, this was in, um, gosh, it must've been September of like 2020, something like that. And finally we came to an agreement and the agreement was that, um, I would purchase the property. They would finally let me purchase the property and I would assume their loan. They had a CMBS loan on the property and there was a, a, a large a defeasance penalty for an early transaction to terminate the loan. So they wanted me to assume their loan, which was CMBS loans are challenging to say the least. Um, so I agreed that I would assume the loan at the purchase price that we had from 2016 minus some of the defeasance cost, the anticipated defeasance cost that I would incur when I sold the property later. So that ended up being a purchase price of uh, 3.1 million for a 50 unit deal built in 2001 um, that now I finally closed on it, get this, in July of 2021. Wow. So it was an unbelievable journey that's just so long. And now the good news is the property is worth around 8 million or so. Oh, are you kidding me? So, <laughs> so I'm, I'll, I'll be selling it this summer and, so you'll uh, really only own it for a year. A year. Yeah. Just over a year. So I don't, so it's all capital gains. Right. And then, uh, my investors and I will, will reap a handsome reward for going through five years of litigation. Did you bring on all the original investors back into that deal or did, were they no. new investors? No, I mean, it had been so long. Right. A lot of these People didn't invest anymore right. or, you know, there, there was something else. So we, it, it was basically very, very close, like family and just a couple of friends. Yeah. Cause I don't remember getting that email. <laughs> it, there was no email, Darren. I don't remember. There was no email. I don't remember getting that email. I would have liked nah, to have partaked in that yeah. 3 million to 8 million in one year. That's a nice. Yeah. Nice. Just, just a couple of phone calls is all it was. And it was done. Right. Nice. Very nice. So, um, you know, you, it, a few things that are funny there. One is, hey, for listeners' perspective, you heard him like get a contingency agreement <laughs> with your attorney because look, it's not just real estate, but almost any type of uh, real estate. I, I mean, uh, legal issues. It can start small, and then all of a sudden, you you've ponied up, you know, a bunch of money, and then you don't want to back out because it's going to be lost money. So that, that was very smart on your part. Um, two, you said it was a small little property, 50 unit property. But I remember, dude, like I remember seeing that video and like you were pumped up about getting your first oh, yeah. 50 unit property. And it's so funny to see, you know, investors kind of transition their mindset. Like, you know, now you're in, 2,150 units, right? But like that first one, 50 units, it was like, that was a big deal at that time. And then- it's huge, yeah. Yeah. And, and now you're doing 200 unit, 300 unit, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, you don't bat an eye. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's it, it's funny that that progression, right? Like right now, I'm in the middle of my 10th syndication. I'll, I'll, I'll close out here shortly. And this is 418 units in Fort Worth. It's, it's almost a $55 million deal. So you think about that transition in just a, a short time, you know, from 2016, where deal number one was happening, or it didn't happen. Um, and I didn't get another deal. My first closed deal was actually at the end of 2017 in Arizona. That was the first deal that I ever actually successfully closed. And so 20, I waited 2017. How many units was that? It was a 70 unit deal 70 in Glendale, units. Arizona. Yeah. In Glendale, Arizona. And yeah. you had been looking for how long? How? Oh, three years. Three right? years. So three years. Yeah. So now, I was also working a full-time job at the time, right? So I would work on my day job, which was I was a regional sales manager for a global elevator company, and I covered the southern half of the U.S. So everything from Hawaii to Puerto Rico uh, was mine, everything south of like the northern border of Oklahoma. If you just, the U.S. just kind of cut it in half, it was, I had the, the southern half. So I was traveling all over the country, you know, talking to general contractors and looking at you know, building designs and selling elevators with my sales guys. And then at night in the hotel is when I would underwrite deals and send notes to brokers and communicate with potential investors and, you know, do all that type of uh, grooming that's required to get your first deal. So that's why it took so long. And in hindsight, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But gosh, back then the market was so good to buy in. I wish I could have bought everything under the sun back then but you instead did, of working you did, my day job. You didn't feel like it at the time, right? I mean, that's <laughs> no, the, that's the no, hard part, right? Everybody looks back and says, I wish I backed up the truck and bought everything. But that's it. You know, when you're doing it, it, you're wondering like, Am, is this a good deal or not? You know? So, um, yeah. Hey, a few things. One, talk about uh, limiting beliefs because, you know, in, so much of getting into, I think, the, the large-scale multifamily business is believing that you can do it, you know, believing that you, you know, you're qualified and that you, you know, deserving or and that you can actually come out the other side. And you persevered, you know, three years. A lot of people, I've seen a lot of people come in and go, come and go you know, in this group and, and a lot, they kind of have that mindset of it's, it's going to be a year, you know, but you get into year two, I see a lot of people drop off, right? Yeah. So um, talk about limiting beliefs, perseverance. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad you mentioned limiting beliefs because this mindset in this game is so critical. It, it is absolutely critical. I mean, think about this for a second. Set the stage. You're going to go and talk to a broker, right, about buying a multi-million dollar property. And in many cases... If this is your first deal, you have no real experience. Your net worth is far below what is required to float the loan for this thing. And you're going to be the point guy that's putting everything together, that's going to make this work, double investors' money, and cash flow on top of that, and keep all the paperwork straight and keep everybody happy. And, you know, most of the time, you don't know how to do it. There's always deal number one right. where you're kind of the guinea pig, right? Yeah. You don't really know exactly what you're getting into. You've read about it, you know, but there's, there's no experience like actually jumping in head first and making it happen. Absolutely. And if, if you don't get your head right, you're not going to get the deal. And don't think the broker can't read right through that too. Absolutely. You know, broker, the broker can tell whether you're confident 
or not. Yeah. Um, so the the first deal that I got in, in in Arizona, the deal that I actually closed, my first one that I closed. Um, again, I was living in Texas and I wanted to buy in Arizona. I had just lost a deal in, in uh, Fort Worth, you know, similar to your situation. I lost it to a friend and I said, oh, I, I can't <laughs> believe I lost that. Right. So I'm going to Arizona. I, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought we were going to win too. So I mean, we were, you know, I understand. Yeah. It. So I, I go to Arizona and luckily at the time, again, I'm, I'm working full time. I had a new sales rep in Arizona. So I'm spending a lot of time there training the sales rep and I'm looking at the market in general um, for construction. Of course, Arizona is blowing up, right? They're building everything. And I started looking at multifamily out there and said, wow, this is an excellent market to get into. And so then I started making some contacts with the brokers. They knew my association with um, a multifamily group in Dallas and I, I started underwriting deals that, that started to make sense, you know, and then I started having some detailed conversations with the brokers about how things would work, how to operate this property, asking all the right questions, right? To send the signals that you knew what you're doing, even though at the time I had no idea what I was doing, right? It, it was just, I'm, I'm following a script of use the lingo, ask the right questions, speak with the management company. So, you know, additional local questions that may be pertinent. And so what I did when it came time to win the deal, right? I had a bid that was, that was um, very competitive and the seller wanted to make sure that, that I was going to be okay. I was going to be the guy. So what I did was I asked my lender to call the broker, right? And, or I should say my, my loan broker called the broker and said, yep, this thing is all, it's all lined up. It's ready to go for Dustin World set. I showed up on site to tour the property with the broker. And when I did, I also brought the management company who I had previously spoken to and arranged. Uh, well, we had in-depth conversations on where we could take the rents, what, what we would have to do, what the neighborhood looks like, you know, the whole nine yards. So they knew exactly what was going to happen. Right. And Phoenix is not a really big town. So all the brokers know the management companies too. So you show up to a property, the loan broker is already called ahead. And you show up with the management company who says, yep, this is just like we talked about. We're going to do this, 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 and we're good to go. So once we leave, the broker gets this impression was, wow, this guy's Dustin is, is, is professional. He's planned out. He knows what he's doing. And this is, this is a, a, a sure sale so that he's going to get his commission and the seller is going to be happy. So by setting the stage there for that first deal, it, it, it worked out really well. It worked out really well. You did, you did a lot of great things there. Um, in multifamily, they always talk about, people always talk about it being a team sport, right? And, and you know, we were talking about limiting beliefs and I'll have people that'll reach out to me off Instagram or whatever. And, and um, you know, I'm too young. I haven't done it. Like I want to do it, but I can't like, and, and what you did is kind of the advice I give is like, don't sell yourself, right? But sell the team. And the team is, the property management company. It's, you know, if you're involved with a mentorship group, it's the mentorship group's reputation. You know, it's, it's, it's the lending team that you're working with. So you did all those things and, and implanted those where the broker saw that you were already entrenched with them. So you're riding the coattails of your team members. hundred percent. That's huge. 100%. So you right. won, so you won and that deal. Did you, were you partners with somebody on that deal or did you do that one on no, yourself? I did all by myself. My first deal, I was the solo GP out of state working a full-time job. Wow. 
So it can be done. And had, yeah. And, and look, that's what I tell people, you know, I, I, and, and now I'm a coach w- with the investment group too, right? So people, I say the same thing. How do you do this? I have to partner with so many people. I, I want to do a deal by myself, you know, but I live in somewhere else. I just tell my story. I said, look, you can do it. It's just a matter of getting your mindset right and ponying up to it. Look, somebody's going to do it. It might as well be you. Right, right. You know, so I'm not special. I can tell you, I'm not special. I'm not the, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, usually ever. Right. <laughs> but, so, <laughs> but you know what? If you get around enough people, that that helps give confidence too. You see, you, you know, yeah. you see all these other people doing deals, and then you're like, all right, well, you know, I can do it too. Um, now, I would, I always give counsel that in today's market, it's so competitive that. As a new person, you can't do a deal by yourself. You have to partner with somebody that has experience. Um, But it's interesting that you didn't. And I don't know if part of that was timing. It was 2017 when you you did that deal. Um, So, you know, you got five more years of different um, syndication groups and and now things are so much so competitive. But it may, maybe you can still do it on your own, um, but it's... I know how the brokers work and when it, you know, you get in the best and final and there's two or three groups left and then they say, who, you know, who should, the seller says, who should I work with? The broker wants his commission and he wants not, yeah. doesn't want to get egg on his face, you know, for the deal falling apart. So he's going to pick somebody that he knows if he, if they're in that group. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that there. And nowadays it is different than it was in, in, in 2017. I mean, I bought that door, that, that deal in Arizona was, uh, like about 70,000 a door. Okay. It's 70. It was like 4 million bucks or something. It really was not a huge, a huge deal. Right. Uh, my raise was just over a million dollars yeah. nowadays. Right. Nowadays, everything, like you said earlier, is 150000 a door in, in DFW. It's just different dynamic, and there's a lot more money involved. Right. So just by virtue of that, most likely you will need a partner or two. So you do that. Did you sell that deal? I did. I kept it 26 months. Okay. We doubled, more than doubled everybody's money in 26 months. So, you know, doubling people's money. Um that, let's talk about that a little bit because yeah, when I first got involved, like I couldn't believe, you know, what I was hearing from passive investors and from GPs in terms of the, you know, the returns. And when I got involved, it was 2018. I met some people in the group that were like, Hey, Darren, man, I was buying at 30, 40 a door. I'm, I'm out. And I'm like, well, I'm in. And, you know, I bought an 80 a door and, but, you know, you never know if you're at the top or not. And, and, um, but then I saw it happen both in my passive investments and in my GP investments that, you know, it really is, was true that you're able to double your money and, you know, the business plans always show kind of five years, but because the market's been so good, you know, people have been flipping these deals in two, three years and doubling money in two or three years. That's yeah. 30, 40% returns, you know, annualized. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, some people just don't even know that this world exists. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? it you know, it, it, it really is a shame. So think about this as a general partner, as a sponsor, it's your duty to inform 
people to inform limited partners what kind of opportunities there are outside of investing in stocks and bonds or or whatever's you know whatever else is out there that that produces trivial returns right. in comparison to what's possible now you know it's real estate so there's risk there's always risk but with multifamily there's so many opportunities for that forced appreciation right that forced appreciation where we can go in we can update the property, we can modify the property, we can raise those rents. And with cap rates so compressed, it has such a tremendous effect on the end value of the property. And I mean, that's, that's, that's how you win. You got a team of experts around you. Everyone sees the same vision for the property. They got the same, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, everyone's singing off the same sheet of music. And you get to the end game a lot faster than planned. If everyone's in line, you're having weekly or biweekly calls with the management team and everyone's shooting for the same goals. You force that appreciation, what can be very quickly, and you can be in and out of these deals in a short amount of time and keep your investors very happy in their capital cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is crazy. Now, some people will think until I got involved, like I didn't, I didn't know. Um, but I think a lot of people think that, all right, well, I'm going to start with single family, right? So single family, you know, I haven't been in it for a few years now and look, and I never bought single family as an investment, but you know, if you buy a single family, say a fix and flip, you know, you're, you're buying it, you're going to look into renovate it and then turn it in, you know, three or four months or whatever it is. Um, but the value of that is going to be dependent on the comps of the properties around it, where right. in multi, these large scale multifamily deals, when you talk about forced appreciation, you know, it's based on the income. You could have two properties that were built the same year sitting side by side in the same area and one could have fantastic net income and the other one a dismal net income and the one with the fantastic net income is going to be valued significantly higher. It's going to be valued based on the income of the property. So that's where your that's for, right. forced appreciation comes in. The other thing that's interesting, which I think that people that are just getting into it, they, they can't really understand it, is that many times you can almost prove out the business plan before you, you buy the property. So you know, you're talking about, okay, well, we're going to raise rents by $100, you know, per unit. Well, some people may think, well, that's, you know, just hoping that you can raise rents. But what if people don't? But what they don't know is that you've already gone and looked at three or four other properties in the area that are already achieving those rents. So you kind of already know that the market can, you know, withstand that that side, that, that rent bump, if you do the, you know, do the work to upgrade the units. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, with, with light value add syndication models, we don't look to reinvent the wheel. You know, we, we, we go down the path that's, that's already been proven out. As you say, we do look at other properties nearby. We walk the other properties nearby so we can see exactly what is bringing in that higher rent. We don't want to over improve the property because many times we're talking about, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe 90s built properties that are working class um, homes for people. And so we don't need to put quartz countertops and stainless steel and smart everything in there. 
if that's not going to be appreciated and paid for by that demographic. So that's why it's really critically important to understand what the comp set for your property is and how high you can push that rent. You can't push it too high because then, you know, you're going to be out there all by yourself and you're not going to achieve your business plan. So I do one more thing like it, like with the example of Kenwood we talked about, right? Being the lowest priced property in that market. Yeah, that was fantastic. I like that space. I really like that space. And for example, that's the same model I'm using right now in this 418 unit property that, that I'm in the process of buying. It's, it's the lowest entry point into that market. That's huge. Right? And that allows me to halfway bridge a four to $500 a month gap to where the competition is. So I can raise my rents $200 and I can still be hundreds of dollars less than the competition. Yeah. And that just means that there's going to be a line out the door of people wanting to move to my property because I'm going to keep it nice. I'm going to keep it clean. Like I'm going to keep it safe. And, and it has, it will be a nice place that people want to live. And so long as I can provide nice, clean, safe, affordable housing for people, everybody wins. That, everybody wins. That's, that's huge. Um, yeah. I, 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 I feel bad for people that don't get invited because these deals you have to get on somebody's investor database <laughs> and get the email. You know, you know, it's not something that's just broadcast to anybody. Um, and now I get a ton of emails on it, but five years ago I didn't, you know, so. That's right. Um, hey, in terms of being, you became a coach within the group, um, within the investment group. Um, one, why did you do that? And two, kind of what advantages have you seen since doing that? So, I like to help people out. Okay. That's first and foremost, I want to be able to help people because like you said, um, it, not everybody knows about this. Right? right. And while I'm not the most articulate guy, I'm, I'm also a pretty simple guy, but I can explain things in a manner that makes sense for the most part. And, and coaching folks on how to underwrite these things and what the big picture is, I, I can have, a decent amount of impact and show people how to look at deals, how to win deals and talk them through the process, whether it's through the acquisition process, the operations process, or eventually when you sell the property, you know, how to properly uh, dispose of the asset. So I'm, I'm happy to help with that. Secondly, it, it, it keeps me in tune with the latest and greatest underwriting, right? Cause there's a lot of people that are amazing underwriters and they have incredible vision for properties. And I would never get to see that if I wasn't involved with those folks in the underwriting process up front. That's, in, that's so interesting. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's like an iron sharpens iron type of thing, right? There, there's so many incredibly smart people out there that, that do amazing things with their underwriting that I just simply would not have thought of on my own. So I, I can, I can get a lot of learning from these folks. Of course I can help them, you know, and sure. maybe give them some other ideas too. But right. I can tell you, so some of the stuff is, is it's phenomenal. That, it's phenomenal. I get great contacts and, and it just all helps us as a community become a lot stronger and more efficient and ultimately more competitive to win more deals. Because as you said, it's incredibly competitive and we are the little guys, the syndicators are the little guys, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting against a lot of times big institutional buyers who just come in with big pockets of money. And it's hard to win against someone like that unless you have a leg up in some little tiny detail of what could be on the property. That's huge. I, you know, I didn't even think of that, you know. Um, so in the, in the podcasting world, I 
I get to learn from every guest that comes on, yeah. right? Um, some, some people may listen to one or two episodes and, and I listen to every one, right? So I learn from, I never really thought of that as being, as a coach that you're getting to see, you know, how each individual person, you know, underwrites the deal and they may look, they may do two things that you didn't think about it. And then you have one or two things that you tell them about. Um, and boy, that over time, that could really... Iron sharpens iron. I love. I love it. Um, I didn't even. I did not even think of that. So that that's great. Um, how long have you been a coach? I think this is my uh, third, third or fourth year now. So third or fourth year. One thing that you didn't mention, but I've seen as an advantage for a lot of coaches, is that I kind of alluded to it earlier that I don't think that new people can really win a deal in today's competitive market. Well, a lot of coaches I've seen have partnered with newer people. So they, they do a lot of the legwork and, and then a coach might, and I don't know if this is your strategy too, but a coach may say, yeah, I'll partner on that deal because now you have intimate knowledge of that property of the underwriting of the, you know, that sub market and, You've also spent time with the person that's presenting the underwriting with you. So you're like, you know, I'm comfortable with the person. I'm comfortable with the submarket. I'm comfortable with the, you know, and now all I have to do is pre pre present my, you know, my resume and my track record and, you know, be part of the general partnership team. And that's a win-win. Yeah. Um, I have been asked obviously to, to be, to be partners on, on many deals. Um, as, as a coach, we're, we're very, very selective of, of, of who we want to work with. Not, not just who we want to work with, but the deals we want to get involved in. Right. Because just like anything we have, we have our, our career, so to speak, our, our, our goals we're trying to meet. And if the deal that's being presented or the offer that's on the table doesn't necessarily align with, with your long-term or my long-term, you know, strategic initiatives, then it's, it's not going to be a match. And it's, it's not, you know, the potential GP partners, um, fault. It, it's just, you know, the stars didn't line up for the steel. Sure. So, so please, if, if, if you have a coach, you know, if some, someone in the audience has a coach and they ask their coach to partner with them and the coach says, no, yeah, it's not necessarily just because of you or the deal, it just, maybe it doesn't line up strategically. Yeah. With, and with, I've also know, seen happens. some coaches where they've, they've ended up partnering with one or two other people and then they just kind of keep that team going forward. And so that, yeah. that happens also. Um, but, but those, those are some of the, the benefits of, of being a coach is, and I, and I love how you started it, but you know, you like to help people out because look, there's a big difference between, getting your first deal, that 50 unit deal, and then, you know, owning 15 properties, 2150, you know, at some point, you know, there's a financial gain and then there's some, a piece that's just like, how do I give back, you know, to other people yeah. and to this world? And, um, that's what I heard in that first comment that you said, yeah. which is, which is fantastic. And, you know, as, as adults, as, you know, after we get to a certain age, there, there is a piece that is, how do I help other people? And that, 
even if there's no financial gain, like you, you just get a ton of joy out of helping somebody. If you see them, you know, take that knowledge and actually apply it. Yeah, I, I do actually get a lot of joy when I see, you know, that I've worked with somebody or a couple of different peoples on a property. And then, you know, the next thing I know, a month later or three weeks later or something, I get an email that said, our LOI is accepted, you know, we're going to be funding. There's, there's a lot of satisfaction that I get from that, you know, when I'm helping folks underwrite these deals and I see them succeed. It's great. Of course, I, you know, there's no financial benefit to me, but it's, right. it's great to see people succeed. I want to see more, more people succeed in this business because I don't want it to be, you know, big and constantly big institutional ownerships where these guys own 10, 20, 30,000 doors. I mean, there needs to be individuals like you and I that can go in and, and syndicate or, or buy 50, 100, 200 units and live on it, you know, because being a corporate slave sucks. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Right. Yeah, come on. Exactly. <laughs> I did that for far too long. I know better, you know. Well, I mean, a there's lot, a better way to live than doing a that. A lot of people are scared to make that that jump. Um, but, let, you know, talking about that word, that word coach, you know, look, I my son is a junior in college right now. And it's been a while since I've been a coach of his baseball. But I remember like little, you know, little, little guys, you know, and there would be kids on the team that like day one, they could barely throw the ball. Right. But at near the end of the season, all of a sudden they're playing third base and they make that long throw across to first and get the guy out like that joy. Well, being a coach, you know, has a little bit, it's not, it's different than, you know, a little kid thrown across the, but you're, you're still getting to share in that victory. And, you know, and so yeah. that, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. Hey, um, talk about where do you guys find passive investors? So uh, to get a lot of passive investors or to get passive investors in general, you have to be social. You know, there's there's lots of meetup groups out there um, with with COVID. You know, there's a ton of virtual meetup groups out there, which is kind of strange. But, you know, we all kind of started getting used to it. But getting out in front of people getting to meet them, shake their hand, tell them your story, understand what they're looking for in an investment and help educate them. That's how, that's how you find, in my opinion, that's how you find uh, passive investors. And these are passive investors that so long as you perform, they'll keep coming back. Right. And that's, that's what all of us, that's the, the Holy grail for a general partner is to have passive investors who continue to come back and say, you know, Thank you for doubling my money in whatever, two, three, four, five, six years. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. What's the next journey? What's the next adventure? And, you know, part of that is, is communication throughout that ownership period. You need to, as, as a general partner, you need to communicate with your passive investors and let them know what's happening on the property. Give them, if, if there's nice pictures you can show, if there's updates, what's happening with the CapEx. Because they're your partner in this, right? They they want to see how the property is being transformed. They want to see your vision and their partial vision come true with what's happening on these properties all across the country, whether you're you know, they're in your backyard or whether they're across the states. It's it's a good opportunity to really um, grow that relationship, you know, by by having that open communication. And if an investor calls you, call them back and talk to them. <laughs> call them back, yes. I mean, how how many passive investors have you talked to? I'm sure that have said, I can never get a hold of my general partner. They don't call me back. They don't answer my emails. Man, that's it's, not, it's crazy. 
that's that's not cool. That's not how you build relationships. That's not how you're serving your investors. Right. That's not right. Absolutely. And and um, you know, I think that not all passive investors, but especially the ones that have been in a few deals, they understand there's going to be some hiccups. You know, and yeah. and you know, if you communicate that to them, they're they're going to appreciate it much more than if you go hiding and. Yeah. You know, look, COVID is a perfect example. Like look, nobody could have forecasted, you know, that COVID was going to happen, but there were some general partners that, you know, look, Hey, this is what we're doing. Um, and there's other general partners that were like, didn't want to, you know, engage with their investors that, you know, and that's going to, it's going to be a deciding factor whether they come back or not on the, on the next deal. So uh, how do you scale? You know, you, you started with 50 units and you, now you have 2,150. Um, so many people talk about the first one's the hardest. And then after that, number two, three, four, you know, come so much more easy. Like how did, how did you scale? Um, so there is some truth to that statement. First of all, the first one is the hardest. And then, you know, you're rolling on that momentum. So long as your momentum doesn't stop, then you certainly can build off that and, and be successful. Um, you know, scale is a tough question, Darren. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to scale myself. I, I've, I've, been, I've been growing incrementally, you know, two properties a year, three properties a year, something like that. And part of, part of that success is driven by um, reliable partnerships. Right. So just like you mentioned that uh, some people work well together right. and they stay together. Right. Uh, I'm I, my current partner. We've done this is our fifth deal that we're, we're doing together. Fantastic. And, I, you know, I I enjoy the relationship. Um, she's good at things that I am not good at. And that's very helpful, especially when there's more than one property involved. There's there's a lot of that give and take. And we all wear all hats all the time. But it certainly does help when there's when there's um, someone who's very focused on, say, you know, getting K-1s out the door and working with the CPA, uh, you know, me and CPAs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I work with them when I have to. Right. And it's forced and they can feel it. <laughs> that's, but, that's great. But, you know. I have, I have my personal CPA who I love dealing with, right? I love, I, I love the guys. He's awesome. But when it comes to some of the properties and getting those K-1s out the door, yeah. it's a burden, right? And it's a hassle. It's just challenging. And I don't like that fight, but my partner is really good at it and she does great. So, you know, hey, I'm happy to focus on operations while she focuses on getting K-1s out the door during that time that period, right? So that these, these partnerships... They have to have purpose. We have to have similar visions, moral and ethically aligned. And I tell a lot of people who, who you know, worry about or have discussions about getting in partnerships. This is like a, you know, it's kind of like a, a marriage. It's a long-term relationship. So if you don't like the person that you're going to be hanging out with for the next five years, it's probably not going to turn out very well. Right. So make sure you can spend some time with them and get along with them. Right. Because you're going to be spending a lot of times. I tell you, I talk to my partner more throughout the day than I talk to my wife. She's at work <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm juggling 2000 doors every day, trying to get everything going. 
And so I luckily I have a great partner and I talk to her and her husband all day long. That's that's fantastic. You know, that I've heard that from a lot of different uh, people that have come on the show that have said, look, there's, you know, there's the synergy of like, what do you like to do and what do they like to do and what are you good at and what are they good at? And, you know, hopefully, you know, that you match up well. Um, But there's also, you know, values and, you know, like how, how do their values stack up to yours? And, um, and do I like, do I just enjoy talking with this person? You know, do they view the world the same as me? Because that's a big deal. You know, if, when you come to a, to a crossroads on how do you handle a situation, if you guys are on completely different wavelengths, um, you know, it's difficult and you can't get out of it for, you know, two, three, four, five years. Now the, the bonus is, is that if you you know, you have one transaction and it's not going that well, well, you're probably not going to partner with that person again, right? Now, you, yes. your current partner, you, you, you said you were doing your fifth deal. So that that, right. that tells you that you guys get along well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just think of that, you know, some of the trouble that, that you avoid by having that same moral and ethical compass. So imagine for a moment that my very first deal that didn't go through, um, the the, uh, the 50 unit property, you know, I was not obliged to return everybody's money hundred percent by the operating agreement. I could have metered out the losses, um, per their investment percentage so that they would have, we, we would have all shared the loss. So had I had a partner that would not have agreed, you know, that, that that was the right, the moral and ethic thing to do is to return everybody's money. I mean, that could have been a huge problem huge problem absolutely right absolutely and you know that goes with reputation risk right i mean like look you because you did that you know people talk man and people are like hey dustin was stand up he's you know he's he sent back the money and you know i'm i hear that he's in this lawsuit and i heard heard that he lost you know 60 or 70k out of his but he didn't you know take any of it from us and um, that, that helps you build your reputation in the industry. And, and, um, when investors know that you've got their back, um, that's, a, that's a big bonus and it gives people comfort to do business with you. Yeah. I, I'd say that's one of the big things as a passive investor to look for is just to make sure that the person you're doing business with, that you're entrusting you know, a substantial sum of money with is someone of moral and ethical character. Right. Make sure that they're going to do the right thing. Right. Awesome. So, hey, uh, you, you, I asked you about scale. You got 2,150 units. What's the next big stretch goal for you? Uh, so right now, after I close this deal. Um, this small little deal of. Yeah, right. <laughs> 400 and some odd units. Yeah. So after this deal closes, what my partner and I are going to do, we're going to take a step back and look at what we need from a business standpoint internally, right? So now we're going to start staffing up. We're going to hire an asset manager. We're going to hire someone to, to manage a brand name, like social media type presence. Because in today's world, you, you, know, you got to be in front of people, right? You got to have eyeballs on your name brand. And right now we don't have that because I am not a big Facebook person. I'm not a LinkedIn person. Um, I'm more roll your sleeves up and get something done versus 
you know, post it on social media or TikTok or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. so I, I need, I need someone who can do that. And that's a skill set that I not only am I not good at it, I have no clue about any of that stuff. So we're going to look at that piece of it because that I think is going to really be, um, the, the, the linchpin for future growth is being able to attract, um, new limited partners via social media and show that we have a presence show how we perform and show we ha- how we have performed and how we intend to continue to perform. And that allows us to tell our story more live as it happens, as we're updating properties and cleaning properties up and improving properties and, and just making them a, a better, safer, cleaner place for people to live. If we can show that more often live, that's going to improve our brand name and that's going to help us attract more uh, limited partners and in turn help them hopefully become financial free. Right. So, so that's, that's the goal is just to kind of make it better for, for everybody. So the next step is to figure out how that works, what we can do to make that happen and then implement. Yeah. So uh, somebody had was on the show that's pointing me to a book who, not how, and that's basically what you're talking about is like, okay, well now as you get, you know, larger, it's, you know, who can we hire that can take some of this off our plate? Yeah. Who can we hire to get, you know, our social presence out there? Who can we hire to do this? Who can we outsource to do this? And um, that's part of the scaling um, issue. So, yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, and that's, you know, that's a challenge. That's a challenge for me because I, I mean, I've, I've, I was been kind of a one man band. And now with my, my partner, we're like a two man band, you know, and, <laughs> right, and right. we're trying to figure out what's the right way to grow and serve our investors. You know, well, I should say protect our investors and serve our investors, but, but also, you know, grow the portfolio and, and help everybody out. And there's two. So when you say investors, there's like, there's, I think there's two kind of buckets. Like there's the investors that already know you guys. Right. Sure. They've, they, maybe they've already invested in one, two or three deals. Um, or maybe they're looking for your next deal to get into. Um, but there's people, so there's people that already know you guys. And then there's this whole other bucket of people that they may have invested in multifamily and they don't know you, or they just have, don't even know how to invest in multifamily in a syndication. And how do you attract those buckets over to you guys? And I think that that's, you know, the, the piece that you guys are looking for is, is that one. Hey, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? Um, I have, uh, I have two kids. My, my two girls are eight and 14. And, uh, my 14 year old is, you know, she plays tennis. She's in swim. She's, she is in percussion at band in school. And that also has turned into, um, a, uh, uh what's the name of it? It, it like a rock band. Oh, really? That, uh, that practices. So uh, the do school they, of rock, they, right? So she goes to school of rock. Okay, but they're not, they're not practicing in your house. The, no, the I got a full drum set upstairs. <laughs> it's right above my office too. Nice. So when she's playing the drum, I feel the bass drum. Right. And my, you know, my glasses are jumping across the desk. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's keeping us very busy. And then, uh, you know, my little eight year old, she wants to do everything the 14 year old wants to do. So, you know, we're trying to get her involved in stuff like that as well. Fantastic. Well, so it's, 
it's, it's very big, busy around here. Busy family time. Um, so, Hey, if people want to get to know you guys better, what's the best way for them to, to reach out? Sure. So, uh, we have a website, we have our company's called common sense ventures. And so it's common sense dot ventures is the website. That's a, uh, that's probably the easiest place to learn more about us. And you can email me, Dustin at commonsense.ventures. And, um, you know, fire away in, any questions you want. So any, it's commonsense.ventures, not dot that's com. Right. Dot ventures. That's right. Okay. Dot ventures. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, like I said, I, <laughs> I have mixed emotions. Like I would have loved to have gotten that deal that you guys got. But um, at the same time, I'm also happy to, to have the podcast. Uh, I, I think you're, you're a great guy. You can't, you listeners, you can't see him. Um, if you're on YouTube watching this, you can see him, but he's sitting down. Dustin's a tall, tall dude. How you, were you a basketball player? <laughs> no, I, well, I was a basketball in high school. I, I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't any good, but I did play basketball. Six, what? Uh, six, three. Six, six, three. Th- six, three. That looks like six, yeah. five. Yeah. So in any event, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you shared some fantastic stories and I uh, wish you and, and Deepika much success moving forward. And uh, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thanks, Darren. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 